Another Way to Play, Episode 10. Hey, this is Rachel Saunders of the Gunderman Group. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Tom Streaking. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to another episode of Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a dear friend, colleague, and all around really amazing and thoughtful person, Rachel Saunders. Uh, Rachel is originally from New York. She earned her BA in French at Smith College uh, in Massachusetts at the age of 20 and after college came out to San Francisco and then ultimately to Oakland. And in 2008, nearly 10 years of intensive research, Rachel launched her revolutionary jam company uh, called Blue Chair Fruit. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, Rachel is the author of three cookbooks, one of which has been nominated for a James Beard Award. Real big deal. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, a believer that life well-lived should include many chapters, Rachel closed Blue Chair after a decade and launched her career in real estate, and she has not looked back yet. Uh, today, Rachel and I are going to talk about a couple of things, one being specifically about Blue Chair and how, even though it was a really cool and interesting business, it didn't make money, and she was totally okay with that. So find out um, what it is she got out of uh, the business other than just money. Another one is she brings up towards the end is a really interesting poem called Moments by Mary Oliver. I read the poem just now. I won't read it to you now, but it is, it's somewhat thought provoking. It's one of these that I'm going to have to mull on myself for a while. So, uh, go, go read that and see what it, see what you think it means in the context of this conversation. Uh, generally this podcast episode is just packed full of rich, thoughtful anecdotes and takeaways that you're probably going to want to listen to more than once. So be prepared to replay this, you know, jot a few notes down because because Rachel really brings it in this one. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did. And as always, I would love to hear from you. I would love to connect and get to know you better and hopefully uh, learn what you're liking about the podcast, how I can make it better, what I can improve on, what kind of guests we should bring on. Uh, So in the show notes, it's my Calendly link. Go click on there, get a time on my calendar that we can chat and uh, connect. And hopefully we will uh, see each other soon and connect over a phone call. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Rachel Saunders. So Rachel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and joining us uh, for a conversation. Tom, thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. We gave your intro already, so we won't we won't repeat that. But why don't we? Um, why don't you just kick us off here by building a little bit of context for your story and and telling us where it all began? Um, well, I'm from New York State, and uh, I'm an only child, which I think you know is good and bad. My parents are quite eccentric. I grew up in a house full of antiques. My father is an antique dealer, and he uh, he actually, when I was a kid, he was dealing in historical autographs. 
so you can imagine just kind of the environment that I was growing up in. It was sort of like being in an old print shop. Wow. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I think was actually very important for me was that my mom was the breadwinner and my dad actually was more of the maternal figure. My mom had a nine to five job with benefits and she didn't really feel like she could take a huge amount of time off when I was born. So she actually went back to work after six weeks. And my dad was really the one who raised me for the most part. I mean, I saw my mom a lot on the weekends and she was definitely a great mom, but she just was less present on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. So I think that that has really informed my life in a lot of ways that some of which I couldn't really articulate and other ones I can, but uh, I've never really thought of myself in terms of I should or shouldn't do certain things because I'm a girl. And I think a lot of that just had to do with my dad. Which for those of us who were raised in the, you know, eighties and nineties, you, you saw those gender roles play out in your friends and your family and all that sort of thing. And and you were raised with almost an exact opposite, which is sort of normal now, especially in our Bay area geography, but um, wasn't then. And, and it's still probably not in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was, it's true. And I mean, I think there's also, you know, there is this sort of father daughter thing that I think only daughters experience anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was unusual. And I mean, I had, you know, I had friends with great dads. It wasn't like everyone's dad was, you know, totally just of course. there for dinner ultimately or anything like that. But it's just that, you know, my dad was kind of the one that I went to for comfort. And, you know, I just remember climbing on his lap. You know, I mean, he was sort of the, that figure for me. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was unusual at the time. And I actually remember... I think I never really thought about it. And then one day at school, I, some, something happened and I kind of thought, Oh, am I supposed to do that? Because I'm a girl. Like it was something, I don't even remember what it was, but Hmm. uh, I asked my dad, I just remember, I have to know from my dad, I have to have him tell me that that doesn't really matter. And I asked him and he said, there was nothing that he thought I should do or not do. And that really stuck with me over the years. Wow, that's uh, a really amazing and deep start to the conversation that um, you just brought in. So I, I love that. And looking back, do you, you've sort of alluded to this, but can you, can you paint a little bit more of a detailed picture for us around um, that con- conversation that you had with your dad of like, no, you shouldn't be a certain way because you're a girl and how that sort of informed what you've done now, you know, in your professional career or, or in your yeah, development later? I mean, Yeah, I think there are probably ways it's affected me I couldn't really articulate, but I just never felt limited. I think a lot of people do feel limited in one way or another. I mean, and it could be, it could be the opposite. It could be, I'm a guy, so I shouldn't do X, Y, Z. I mean, it it goes both ways, but I just never felt like that was really my primary feature. (laughs) Like, I've always been much more just interested in the things I'm interested in, and I've always been driven and I don't know I've always been adventurous I I've never really thought about you know I should do x y or z or I shouldn't Mm -hmm. and I think you know that plays out differently for different people you know in their lives you know how limited they feel can you give us a an example of of something early in your career where um, you applied that lack of limit to uh, to your journey and and it kind of blossomed into something beautiful that 
may not have occurred if you if you felt felt that limit uh, in a different version of yourself? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. So I, I know I kind of started out by saying I didn't feel limited uh, by my gender, but I think more than anything, I just don't really feel limited at all. I mean, in terms of, I mean, obviously we all, <laughs> we're all existing in a society, but I've just, I've never thought there was something that I shouldn't try to do that I wanted to do. Um, so one example is, I mean, I, there's so many different examples. I guess one example is that I, I, I wrote a cookbook. I just wanted to write and I just sort of decided that I was an expert on this thing because I had worked hard, so hard on it. And, you know, I, I mean, I think I actually am an expert on it, but mm-hmm. just to say that I ne- I didn't think like, oh, I haven't gone to cooking school, so I shouldn't do this or, oh, I shouldn't do this because blah, blah, blah. I just thought, of course I can do this. And, you know, I mean, maybe there's a certain amount of hubris, but I, I think, you know, it's interesting. You have that question at the, that, that I think you may want to ask, which is what would people disagree with me about? And I think what people might disagree with me about is that I think a lot of people limit themselves without realizing it. Totally. I, I love that answer and I 100% agree with it. Um, it's whether it happens in an instant or, or over a lifetime, I mean, building up that confidence and, and sort of breaking down that barrier that we, for one reason or another, all end up with in some capacity is sort of the pursuit of freedom and, and you know, asking questions of does it have to be that way and can I do it or why couldn't I do it in, in your case? And I think there's, there's so much to that and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you said it so well. There's persistence and there's, um, I can't remember what it is that you contrasted that with, persistence and... Uh, pestering was usually... Pestering, yes. So I don't actually think those two things are similar at all. I think persistence can be very quiet, mm-hmm. but persistence has to do with your force of will and your energy towards something. And pestering is just, very superficial, actually, to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's more, I think persistence is, much, is a much deeper thing that you can bring to any, any endeavor and also to your life. Okay. Um, so since we've, we've gone on this topic, like, how, tell me about that, because we're, we're both in a sales environment. Um, we do open houses. We talk to clients about buying houses or selling houses or whatever. And I think a lot of people would, in a traditional sales boiler room or whatever that vision is for you um, would say that pestering and persistence kind of go hand in hand because you got to follow up. You got to cold call. You got to, you know, ask for the business or whatever, but you're saying it's like, they're not related at all because it's more of a, a way that you go about the world as opposed to an action you do in your day. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not really a linear thinker and I'm not really a scattered thinker. I'm more of kind of a structural thinker. Hmm. And to me, everything is connected. And I I get very frustrated. If I can't connect dots, it's very frustrating for me. Mm -hmm. But just to say that in the context of real estate, the more global you, you sort of are, the more people are attracted to that. And the more you have to bring to them as well. So I, I do agree. I mean, I think if you just, you know, say you're going to call people for half an hour a day, that may be fine, but there needs to be something real behind that. Mm-hmm. 
there needs to be some organic element or it's not going to fit together quite right. And, that, and that's just for me personally. Um, you know, I think everyone has a different approach and it could be very valid. You know, any approach could be valid. But I just know for me that, I mean, if I'm in an open house and I'm having a slightly off day, it's very obvious, even though I can turn on the switch of like talking about the house and whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's, there's an, there's a, there's a, there's an intangible element that each of us brings to every interaction. Mm-hmm. I want to keep digging on this, on this topic that you, you've so you've stated so well just a few minutes ago about the persistence being, you know, a way that you are more or less and, and how that applies to your journey. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of, con- especially in like the success entrepreneurial space out there. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, grinding and working really, really hard and, you know, staying up till whenever getting up at the crack of dawn to do affirmations and all this, you know, cold calls and all this other things that you got to do. Um, but I, I think the way that you put it is more of sort of this peaceful inner drive. That's the, the picture that came to mind for me was like this, this coal burning fire engine that's in inside of you. That's just hot and going, but it, but you wouldn't necessarily see it other than sort of the heat radiating out from it on the outside. Is that, even hitting close to what you what you're talking about? I think it is. I think <laughs> my husband might disagree with you. <laughs> but, okay. Um, no, no, I think you're I think you're totally yeah, I think that is kind of what I was saying. I you know, um there are there have been so many moments in my life and, and, and I don't want this to sound uh in in any way uh woo woo or anything like that because that's not really who I am, but mm-hmm. there have been times where I just knew that something had to happen. And I felt like my force of will was part of why it happened. And it wasn't in a way where I could quantify it necessarily, but um, I mean, that's how I, I feel that that's been a factor in the houses that my husband and I have purchased for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been so many different things in my life that have kind of come about because I sort of focused my energy on them in a global way, not just on the details. There needs to be, a, for me at least, an, a certain amount of integrity. And because if that's there, it's very solid and it's not something that's easily dismantled. So if that's there, then you are bringing that to any endeavor. And it's really hard to beat that. It's really hard not to succeed when you have that. Absolutely. And to sort of cap that off, I think that there's a, a, a commentary about just the general journey um, that one might take through sort of starting uh, a jam company and then transitioning to real estate or starting a business in general and then, you know, having it succeed, which is um, the, the time it takes and the, and the way that it um, the foundation you build takes a while. And, and if it's built on integrity, as you've so aptly put, um, it will, it may not be that overnight success, but it will be around in 40 years, hopefully. Um, can you kind of talk about longevity with relative to your journey? And, and I know you've pivoted a couple of times, but um, how that's been uh, present in your story? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, it's such a cliche, but so much of life is timing. And, I do agree with that 100%. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, I mean, I think in my life, what I can say unequivocally is that not being afraid to jump on something when it's what's presented at that moment as the right thing for you it is has been such a such a key thing for me i mean when i so my business and, and i mean people listening may know nothing about it so just to say that within this tiny niche of food artisans it was it was very prominent mm-hmm. and I mean, it was kind of the best of both worlds in the sense that I was kind of a star, but I was just in this very limited thing. So it wasn't like I was in the airport and I was getting mobbed, but it was just that if I was out and about people, there's, there's always someone who recognized me and people knew me because I was on television and whatever. And so it was hard to leave that, especially for something like real estate, which People think, you know, a lot of people don't have the most positive view of it, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. And and yet to me, it made complete sense as the obvious next thing to do. And it's really important when that happens for you to trust that. Absolutely. Because to me, the, the outer version, the outer journey is just a manifestation of the inner journey. The inner journey is really what life is all about, as far as I'm concerned. And so... I need to honor that first and whatever else happens is sort of a result of how in touch with that I am or am not at any given time. And, you know, I was, I was watching something I think last week uh, on the internet and it was, it was basically um, someone interviewing a bunch of very successful entrepreneurs who had done really amazing things and sold millions of dollars of whatever Um, And there was a section of this, it was actually a documentary, where they basically all said some version of what you just said, which was uh, any problem in your business is really a a problem in your personality and your in your life. And it's just manifesting through your business. And exactly. I mean, it's like a marriage. I mean, it's like anything. Totally. (laughs) And I've been thinking about that and starting to realize like when I'm out of balance or when I'm frustrated uh, because I don't have a client that's being cooperative or, you know, the closings aren't happening or whatever the case is, it's, it's oftentimes something more to do with my mindset and the way that I'm thinking about the situation as opposed to really the clients are this or the, the market is that. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, on that note as well, you know, I think success can mean a lot of different things. And my business was wildly successful, but it never made any money. And I I know that may sound strange to say, but it was never really about the money for me. It was Mm. about changing an industry. It was about doing something that had not been done before. It was about creating a brand. It was about self-expression. It was about mentorship. It was about so many different things. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, I went into it in my twenties and I sort of thought to myself, this isn't going to be about the money. And, you know, if I never make any money, I never make any money, but at least I'll have done this. And I knew that, you know, I'm not going to do this when I'm 50. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not something I was going to do later. Now was the time. And I felt like I had a hundred boxes I wanted to check with the business and I checked all of them. 
That's so great. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I wish I'd made money, but no one makes money doing that kind of business. It's just what it, you know, it's just artists and food is just not, you don't go into it for that reason. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of how I grew up, you know, through, through that experience, I think to a large extent, um, I had to wear so many different hats. And I mean, that was the thing about real estate. I know I'm veering off topic a little, but just to say that once you've been an entrepreneur, it's really, really hard to find something that's going to match that in terms of the stimulation in so many different ways and the challenges that you are going to encounter. So it's, I was so happy when I realized that real estate would check all of those boxes for me without the physical exhaustion that was making the jam. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm so challenged and you know, there, I mean, at the beginning that was really difficult because I, I didn't, it's hard knowing nothing, I think, when, after you've owned a business. But, but I think I, I had the, the sort of ability to see that it would fulfill me in a lot of ways. And I'm really glad that I, that I was able to see that. And I can completely relate to that because I was, as you and I have talked about before, you know, during my Olympic journey in rowing, I was an amateur. I was making, making, they were paying me like 400 bucks a month at that (laughs) to to row. And I think the most I ever got paid was like $1,200 a month. And it wasn't about the money. It was about checking boxes. And I remember every year at the end of world championships, whether we did well or we did poorly, thinking to myself, especially after we did poorly, like, is this worth it? Like, what am I doing this for? And then immediately moving forward in my time horizon to be like, if I'm 40 and I can't do this anymore, will I have been satisfied? And the answer was always no. And so therefore I kept going and I ultimately made the team, which was really cool, but it wasn't about sort of that extrinsic goal of like being an Olympian or making money or, or whatever, being on TV, but it was all about fulfilling as you put those spots or checking those boxes internally and making sure I checked them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, another example for, for, for me was I, I majored in French in college, which, you know, I mean, it's not the most practical major if you want to think of college in terms of you know getting a job somehow I, I mean I don't know how but I I had the, the the sort of wherewithal to think to myself if I don't do this now I'm never going to do this I mean this is my chance to learn another language I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to focus this way again and I just really wanted to do that you know as a person not yeah. with the idea of getting a job and I'm really glad I did because I mean yeah, it's not, you know, the most practical thing in the world in a certain sense, but it's practical in terms of just how it has informed my life, which is, you know, I couldn't even begin to describe. So, you know, I think, I think, I think the timing piece is is not only saying yes, when things come up Mm -hmm. and not thinking, not trying to come up with reasons not to say yes, but also realizing that life is kind of this arc with these different chapters and you know chapters have a time that when they should happen and if they don't happen sometimes that ship is sail- sailing mm-hmm. you know um i mean i think you know the one everyone thinks of is having kids right i mean obviously it's like you know there's sort of a window but i think right. there are so many other i think that's just the sort of low-hanging fruit i think there are so many other chapters that you know that you can have or not have that are sort of tied to a stage of life. Totally. So, I mean, I think your, your rowing example is a perfect example because 
when are you ever going to be as strong and with as few commitments <laughs> as you're going to be in your early 20s? Yeah, exactly. Physically and emotionally I and mean, all these other things. Yeah. And financially, yeah, and also, those risks. And, yeah. And I mean, what you get from an experience like that is qualities that stick with you and those don't go away, but you don't get them by not doing things like that. Absolutely. And speaking and sort of slightly changing it up a little bit here, um, you mentioned something earlier about you were sort of a celebrity in your own world. And I can absolutely relate because the rowing world was niche and tiny. And if you got to the top, everyone knew you. And you then talked about sort of stepping out of that world into something where you basically had to start over again. Um, And I likewise totally can relate to that going out of rowing and into the work world. Um, Can you give some thought or some insight to someone who might be considering a change of their own, whether it's leaving a big company and, and going out of their own venture or making some other big life change where they're, might have to scale down the mountain and, and start all over from the from the ground. Yeah, I I would say don't be afraid of having a midlife crisis. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> sometimes it's really, you know, sometimes you just really have to do that in order to get to the next next level. And speaking from experience, um, but I would also say, and this is this is I think the really tricky thing for so many people. Um, you are not what you're doing. Mm. You are bringing you to what you're doing, but you are not what you're doing. And I mean, you are bringing the same qualities to your, you know, raising your dog in some way as you were bringing to being, as you were bringing to being a rower. Yes. I mean, you just, you can't help it because you are you. And, you know, I think one of the things that happened for me, and I think, you know, I think people can relate in various ways. I think, I think one example for a lot of people is, is a mom when their kid goes to college, it's like, who am I now? You know, it's like very destabilizing because there was this thing that was kind of framing everything for 17 or 18 years. And, you know, I, I can't personally relate to that example because I'm not a parent, but I think it's similar just in what I experienced just in the sense that you, you have to ask yourself, who am I without this thing that, first of all, everybody else thinks of me in terms of. And second of all, I invested so much of myself in. I mean, it was such an expression of myself. And so who am I without that? And I think that is, that is what's challenging. But I think you have to get to a place where you think back. I mean, I think back to photos of myself when I was like six months old. And it's like, oh, you can see my personality then. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. And I mean, my mom always joked, this will probably make you laugh. My mom said that after I was born, I looked through this window in the hospital and there, was, there were like 20 babies in a row. And mm-hmm. they were all swaddled and they were all asleep. Like every time she looked in, except me, I had my eyes open and I always managed to like get my hand out of the Oh thing. my gosh. And she, and she was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I'm sure you have anecdotes like that too. Like you think back to those things and you just think, you know, there is something intrinsic about me that 
was there before I became a rower or before I started jam company and it's still there. And I just have to tap into that and be excited about that. I think there's, there's like this really, absolutely. And I think there's a really interesting, uh, just, and it's almost like a minor mindset shift here around like, I am a rower. I am a jam maker. I am a real estate agent or I am me and I bring myself to X, whatever that X is. And it, and I think that's what you're, you're talking about in, and deciding if you're going to jump off and do this next thing, like who are, what are you bringing to it as opposed to what is it bringing to you? Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, just on a sort of personal note as well, um, as you know, cause you've been, I mean, I, I just moved into this house that, you know, obviously, I mean, there are mansions out there, but any person who, who sees where I live is going to think I'm wealthy. It's just that kind of house. And I mean, I'm not as wealthy as I may appear, but just to say that I think, you know, I think people get very caught up in their status and their car and their, you know, their accoutrements. You know, I think it's very important to be humble and to just think to yourself, you know, I'm not anything special more than anyone else because I'm, because I'm so lucky, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think, I think that's the advantage of starting from the lowest rung in a certain way and working really hard is that you really appreciate what you, what you, what you get, what you have, or what, you know, what, what, what you're lucky enough to have. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's really important to ego out of this picture. Absolutely. And that is a lifelong pursuit in and of itself is pulling the ego out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I think is very interesting about it is that it's really surprising how liberating that is. Absolutely. I think people, I think people are very afraid of how disorienting it could be, but in in fact, it's actually very liberating and I grew up, I was an only child and I was in this little town and I was, my mom actually, one thing I didn't mention that was a big part of my childhood is that my mom worked for an airline. And the reason she worked for an airline is because she wanted to travel the world. And my parents actually traveled the world before I was born. But then after I was born, they took me to Europe a lot. And so I had this kind of, I mean, I was like the only kid in my town that had ever been anywhere. And, you know, I I sort of stuck out. And when I was a kid, I was very aware of feeling different all the time. If you latch on to that and that becomes kind of a core part of who you think you are, that can be very limiting. And the sooner that you can let go of that and just be a person, the better, you know, the, the more sort of healthy and liberating that is. I mean, that was a huge realization for me in my 20s because, you know, I think, I think when you're in your 20s, you know, I think when you're young, most younger people tend to think everyone is way more focused on them than than they actually are anyway, but (laughs) totally, you know, when you're an only child and you've always kind of been this a little bit of a misfit in terms of your peer group, it's probably even more so. And I just think that, you know, it's not unlike, you know, they they always say, you know, someone who's always been overweight is it, even though they may not want to be overweight, it's hard to imagine not being overweight because they have attached their identity to that. And Mm -hmm. I just feel that the sort of less you attach to external things, the more happy you will be. Wow. That was, that was great. Thank you. Um, 
couldn't agree more. And I think you've just articulated it so well there. So we're getting towards the end of our, our time. And I want to be respectful of your time here. So um, just to start wrapping it up here, do you have a quote or a saying that you keep in your head or on your desk um, that you look at from time to time, especially when things get tough? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, it's, it's interesting you're asking me that. So there are two. Um, <laughs> One of them is in French, but it's a Nietzsche quote. It's basically, you have to follow the path as long as you're going, as long as you're moving up. So mm-hmm. as basically, I mean, it's hard to translate, but the idea is basically, as long as you are growing, you have to keep following your path. So I think that's one thing. But another thing is this Buddhist quote, actually, which is not knowing is most intimate. In that context, intimate really means when you don't know is when you're actually the most open to life's possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's, the yep. idea, it's the idea that it's the idea that if you think you know, then you've shut out possibilities. There's something very real about being open. I love that, and it yeah. sort of goes back to starting over from from the bottom of the mountain, climbing down from wherever you're at, and starting the new thing. You're open to the most possibility because yeah. You've got the whole thing up in front of you. You got to climb it and you got to figure it out. Well, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's <laughs> my husband always teases me about it. Like, what are we having for dinner tonight? I don't know. And then he'll say, "Oh, that's so intimate." But but he understands the real you know idea behind that quote, which I just think is really just such a such an important thing to keep in mind. You know, especially I mean, you know, I. I'm sure we haven't talked about this, but I mean, I'm sure you were an A student and, you know, it's like, if you're used to being smart, it's easy to forget that, you know, it's easy to forget that actually not knowing is a good thing. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to resonate. Uh, that's resonating with me and it's probably going to carry with me the rest of the day and hopefully with the listeners as well, because I think there's a lot of depth there that if you really take a second to sort of digest both of those quotes, she just said, you'll, you'll really have something to bring to the dinner table at the very least tonight and hopefully uh, make an impact in your life going forward. With that, Rachel, uh, I'd like to uh, transition to the last section of our show called our Focus Five, where I ask the same five questions to every guest on every episode. And I'm really excited to hear your answers. Are you ready? I am. And by the way, I just want to say that I think it's so wonderful that you're doing this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited that I'm doing it and you've brought a ton of value today. So this is exactly why I'm doing it. So first question is, what book have you uh, gifted most often? So I was thinking about that. So uh, there are a couple, but, and I, this may sound surprising, um, but I really love this book of poems called Felicity by Mary Oliver. You may know Mary Oliver was she passed away very recently, but she was sort of one of the most widely read American poets uh, of recent times. And her poems are very straightforward. They're not at all hard to understand. They're very, just anybody, you don't have to be into poetry. Anybody could read them. But a lot of her poems are about the natural world. And what I love about this book is actually, it's very short poems. And there's one in particular that just completely encapsulates what we've talked about today. And just sort of my whole feeling about life in general, um, which is called moments, but it's basically the idea that sometimes the moment just demands something and you have to respond to that moment. And so anyway, I've given that book a lot and um, I would just recommend it. I've read it so many times. It just, if you, there's always some new little thing to think about in that book. It's really wonderful. 
Well, I'm going to link to that one in the show notes because I, I think everyone is curious what it actually says now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a lot of it speaks to this idea of a journey um, as well. So, you know, is she, it, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. I think you'll awesome. like it. Awesome. And you said you had a second one. What was the second one? Um, the second one is this book. Uh, well, I was a little torn. I have a few different, I, I haven't actually counted how many times I've given books to people. Um, but one book that I would unreservedly recommend is called The Book of Joy, which I think is also kind of related to what we've been talking about. Um, it's a, it's about, it's a, basically it's about Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama and okay. this meeting that they have where they just talk about their philosophies of life. And it's just basically about how to bring joy to your experiences all the time. And it's just, it's just, you can't not smile reading this book. So it's, it's, it's been a bestseller. It's not a, you know, it's not a secret, but it's a book that is just definitely very worth reading. And, you just feel like you're in the room with these kind of incredible humans. So it's very inspiring. Well, speaking of incredible humans, if you could get an hour of someone's time past or present live or past, uh, who would that person be and why? I think it would be, does it have to be someone famous? Uh, absolutely not. It can be anybody you choose. Um, I think it would be Andrew. So she's talking about Andrew Raskoff, who's uh, one of our team leaders at the Gunderman Group and mentors. Yeah. So who who will be a guest on the show at some point in the near future? Yeah. So he's my dear friend, and I just, I, I mean, I just love to talk to him. And then there's just so much connection when I talk to him. He's very vibrant. I'm sure that will come across when he talks to you on the show. But there's just a lot to dig into with him. There's always some something interesting to talk about. And I also really like talking to people that are a bit older than me because, you know, they know more. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've already sort of answered this one, but I'm going to throw it back to you and see if, if you'd like to throw something back new to us. Um, what is one thing you believe that you think most people would disagree with you on? As I said earlier, I mean, I think people limit themselves without realizing it. I also think that people can, people can, have and do more than they think they can. And what inspires people is when they see other people doing things they think they can't do. And, you know, I just, my attitude has been, I mean, obviously there are many things that I don't have the talent to do or the skill to do or what have you, but my feeling has always kind of been, well, why couldn't I, you know, if I really, if that was really who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do, why couldn't I? And I think, you know, I I just think that's an important thing to bring to life in general. So I would, I would sort of challenge people and myself included, but you know, what is it that you think you shouldn't be doing or can't be doing that you actually want to be doing? Or, or what are you doing for the wrong reason? What are you doing because you think you're supposed to? That ladder, the ladder there gets at the crux of a lot of the, the show of people who think they're supposed to be doing it a certain way and then are starting to realize like, ooh, maybe maybe not. Maybe I can go over here and do this other thing, or maybe I don't want to be on this path that I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think if life is just always rosy, then you never grow. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the more you can be honest about your experiences and use them as tools for growth, the, the better. And I think, you know, 
if you're really honest with yourself, you, you can't help but have a life that has a lot of integrity. Beautiful. Rounding this out here, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How, how do you start your day typically? Well, um, I just moved. So <laughs> um, I started by trying not to trying to prevent my dogs from peeing in the house, which, <laughs> which has gotten much easier now. Um, no, I, 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 I'm sort of half joking, but um, yeah, I let the dogs out um, and feed them. And then I have black tea with milk because I grew up in a sort of British inspired household. So that's my kind of comfort beverage. Um, but I, but I always have some time to myself in the morning. So while I have my tea, I write in my journal. Um, I read and I try to read something that is not just like a engrossing novel. I try to read something that has some kind of philosophical content, um, whether it be that poetry book I mentioned or, essays, whatever it is, just something that is um, sort of putting me in a frame of mind. Then I say what I'm grateful for, and then I meditate, and then I have breakfast. That's basically how I start the day. And just out Um, of curiosity, how long do you think that takes you to go through that whole routine um, you just told us? An hour and a half. Realistically, an hour and a half. I always think it's going to be shorter, but it just takes a little while to settle into the morning for me personally. I'm, mm-hmm. I, and I'm also like, I love to exercise. I actually exercise a lot, but I, I can't fathom just getting up and like running for an hour or something. That's just not how it's too much. It's too jarring for me. Yep. yep. So I'm much more of like a mid morning or like late afternoon exerciser than I am like get up and do it kind of exerciser. So I definitely think that the morning informs the day a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also like, I really, I really do enjoy just sitting there and thinking five or 10 minutes or whatever it is. And if I don't do that in the morning, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that later because my days tend to fill up. You know, I think I, and I've read a lot of like, you know, morning books and I've, I've sort of tried various things. I think, you know, there isn't a right or wrong. It's just, what works for you. And one of the key things for me is that my phone is on airplane mode until mm-hmm. this is over. That's great. Because I think, you know, I think our phones and I mean, it, it, I'd be interested to talk to you about this someday because you grew up just enough after me. I mean, I'm sort of the, the last generation that was sort of analog, you know, yeah. for a while. And there's something that it, it, it kind of scrambles my brain a bit at, or it just, there isn't a lot of space. Like in, once you kind of get into phone land, it's really important to have that little, window in the morning. So yeah, I mean, my day usually start, I try to get up at like seven. So or six between 630 and 730. So it's not like I'm starting my day at 11. But it's just, I do like to have this little morning time to myself. I think that's so important. And and I think it goes more broadly to like knowing yourself and knowing what will work for you, because there are so many morning routines out there on the internet and so many opinions about food and exercise and meditation and this and that. I think you take a little piece of something or you try someone's system, you take a piece of it away and and then try something else and you can just as easily build your own morning routine, which it sounds like you have done. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's kind of like my grandmother just died in November and she was 104 and she never had anything wrong with her. And, you know, I mean, she didn't, she never did anything in extremes. She took walks all the time. She liked to walk and hike, but she wasn't like an athlete. And, you know, I think, I think kind of the morning thing, you can kind of bring that philosophy just in the sense that 
you know, you don't have to do every single thing that every, that every morning routine person thinks is good for a morning routine. I mean, even if you just did one of the things I mentioned, it would still be very worth doing. It would like just doing gratitude for five minutes would be great. You know, I mean, even if that's what you, if that's what works for you, I just think, you know, I mean, one of the things about walking, I mean, one of the reasons it's so sustainable is because you can do it every day. It's like an actual realistic thing to do no matter what age you are. And, you know, I kind of think that about the morning thing too, like you, ideally you do something that you can, the regularity of it is sort of half of the benefit beyond just the specifics of whatever it might be, if that makes sense. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, to finish off here, uh, Rachel, what is the best place online that the audience uh, can connect and connect with you and learn about you the most? Well, a little known secret about me, and I was thinking about this today, actually, with relation to you and the podcast. I actually hate social media <laughs> um, because I feel like it hijacks my brain. But I do have an Instagram, which is East Bay RTS, but I can also be emailed. And then if you're interested in my stuff, you can just kind of Google Google me. Obviously, I have my cookbooks as well. Excellent. So we will uh, link to your Instagram and to your jam books for those who want to look you up on that front. And then also on the GundermanGroup.com under the team tab, Rachel is listed there. uh, So you can learn more about her through that medium as well. So Rachel, thank you so, so much for sitting down with us. I know this is a little longer one than we normally do, but it uh, was so jam packed and I didn't, and no pun intended, obviously, but uh, of value. And I wanted to just yeah, keep were, it flowing and it, you, you really brought a lot of wonderful thoughts and insight today. So thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah, we were jamming. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, I'm sure you've never so made that joke. <laughs> thank, well, you, yeah, right. You're <laughs> well, welcome. Also, my, my husband's a jazz drummer, so you can imagine how many jamming jokes there have been. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, many, <laughs> many, I'm sure. Well, again, yeah. thank you so much. And we'll sign off the episode or this episode for now. And thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Sean. Wow. That was a really deep one. I, I know we went a little bit longer, uh, but Rachel was just bringing so many interesting thoughts and ideas. I didn't want to stop the conversation. So hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, connect with Rachel on Instagram, East Bay RTS. That's East Bay RTS. It's in the show notes if you are driving. So uh, you can find and connect with her there. And as always, I would love to connect with you as well. While you're in the show notes, following Rachel on Instagram, get a time booked on my calendar so we can have a quick chat. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear who you are, who's listening, and uh, what it is you like about the uh, podcast, uh, what guests you've enjoyed having, what other guests I should get, what questions I should be asking, and all the rest. So uh, find a time with me. Let's connect. Let's have a conversation. And until next time, I'm your host, Hans Strazina. This has been Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chat better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.